0: I'm James Gardner, host of Your History, Your Story, a podcast for everybody who loves stories about interesting people and events told by those who uncovered them from within their own family trees. This, we hope, will inspire you to discover and celebrate your history and your story. In this episode, we will be speaking with Anita Martin Harvey, author of the historical novel, A Woman Apart, Murder and Mayhem in the Plymouth Colony. Anita's novel is based on the life of her ancestor, Eleanor Billington, who traveled on the Mayflower to the New World in 1620 with her husband and two young sons. Anita will describe how she first learned of her famous ancestor and how her desire to learn more turned into a passion to tell Eleanor's story. While researching for her novel, Anita discovered that Eleanor's life was filled with tragedy, heartache, and loss particularly as a member of the struggling Plymouth Colony during its early years. However, despite the hardships she experienced, Eleanor's courage and determination shines throughout her life story. I'd now like to welcome Anita Harvey to our show. Welcome, Anita. Thank you, James. Good to be here. I just wanted to say I'm very excited to be speaking with you because, Anita, I have just... Finished reading your book and I couldn't put it down. It just breaks into this amazing story. I thought to myself, how did Anita come to write this book? So I want to start by asking you, how are you tied in to the main character of this book, Eleanor Billington?
1: She is an ancestress. I found out when. My niece, Julie Burgard, she was researching the family history. A lot of it I had heard by mouth through my mother, grandmother, and so forth. But I had never heard of a Mayflower connection before. But she had it all researched, and I started getting books, actually, about that time that this came out, Philbrick wrote a bestseller on the Mayflower, uh, telling it like it really, really was. Mm-hmm. And I got that book, uh, read it, was just fascinated how much the Billington's were featured in there, not, not in a good way sometimes.
0: <laughs> I've actually read that book. The full title is Mayflower, a story of courage, community, and war.
1: My late husband and I took a trip back to uh, Plymouth. It was an amazing journey. It was in the fall. We went to the gift shop where the Mayflower, the replica of the Mayflower, was. Mm-hmm. And I, a clerk came up to me at that time. And she says, welcome home. I thought, that is wonderful. Welcome home? (laughs) And so I, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, I was looking for books about the uh, passengers on the Mayflower, and I found one on, on the Billington. When she saw that, she said, welcome home. So anyway, I was taken with the idea of writing about her. It just took me a long time to get it done. Yeah. And I hung on to that. And finally, I got it together enough. It took
0: years. It took years. And, so uh, so from the time of you finding out about this ancestor of yours, Eleanor Billington, until you actually started putting pen to paper, how long a period of time do you think that was, approximately?
1: Well, my husband died in 2013, mm-hmm. and I know it was before that because I talked about it at a seminar. I went to a writing seminar on the coast. I shared it over there, and so it had to been before 2013.
0: Okay, and you published this in 2018, so it was at least five yeah, years in the so coming. Yeah, it was
1: at least five years. It was always there, and I, you know, wrote and published another book in the meantime Yeah. about my other ancestors, and anyway, it just kept nagging me.
0: It kept <laughs> nagging you. So, all right, so when you found out this information, you mentioned that you didn't know any, you had no idea that you were descended from passengers on the Mayflower. No. You didn't, so... When your niece did this research, were you, like, thrilled to hear this?
1: It was totally, totally fascinating, and nobody in my family had ever mentioned it, so it was like a mystery unfolding.
0: <laughs> a mystery. And and to some degree, finding out, you mentioned that they had kind of a reputation in the Mayflower community, so I guess oh, that's... Oh, did they ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes it even more interesting, doesn't it?
1: Oh, yes, it does. (laughs) Do you want to hear my experience when my husband and I were back in Plymouth and we went to the uh, Mayflower Society? Well, we walked in the door and hostess met us and said, and who are you looking for? Well, I had a couple of other ones, uh, peripheral ones, and I mentioned them. And then I said, John Billington because they always went for the guy. <laughs> yeah. She looked at me, and she says, and you admit it.
0: <laughs> I don't think I want to
1: join this society. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just because one of the ancestors was hanged, there's no reason not to be a member of the society. Uh, no,
1: <laughs> no. And then I kept thinking of her, and, and she was in the history books, too. Oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah. Let me ask this question then. So what was the next step for you when you found out about these relatives?
1: The book On the Mayflower by Phil hmm That was just amazing. Then I found some other smaller books. Well, I bought some there at, the, uh, at Plymouth about the family. They were very, very helpful.
0: So you find out about these ancestors, you started to read up on the Mayflower colony and who the people were in it and some background information. Mm -hmm. When I was reading the book, I found that not only did you do a wonderful sort of a character study that you had to, I guess part of it was from the research you did on your ancestor Eleanor Billington, but part of it, you sort of had to have a feel sort of out of your heart what she was going through and make that character come alive. How did you build that empathy for your character in this book?
1: Well, it had a lot to do with a uh, local publishing company that was organized. They would have a get-together once a year where they'd bring in a speaker and actually, it was the very first one they had, and they had it in this women's club here in California, which is up in the gold country. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they had a uh, poet named Valentine Newt, G-N-U-P, and she was amazing. She put us through all these exercises, and one of them, and it's the thing that turned me around and got me going. She had us take a character from the book we wanted to write and have them write to us, write a letter.
0: Interesting concept.
1: And I still have it in my notebook. Ooh.
0: Could you read I it can for read us? It. I'd love it. I'd sure. love it, yes.
1: It says, uh, Dear Anita, Here I sit, looking at my fire, and wondering what is taking you so long. I want the world to know my story, my journey, my pain. Why are you afraid? My life was filled with challenges, and I stood up to them. As you were writing, I could feel a connection. I thought you were the one, but here I sit, waiting, waiting, I have all the time in the world since I died, but the world needs my story. Please, please take the risk and just do this. I am tired of being silent. Signed Eleanor Billington.
0: Oh, wow. Wow.
1: A Woman Apart. I wrote that because I already had the title.
0: (laughs) A Woman Apart. Were you convinced by her letter to you to write a book?
1: Yes, I was. I had a dear friend who was on the uh, board of this new publishing company uh, named Sally McClellan. I had been in a writing group with her when I first moved up here with my husband in 2001. So I told her I wanted to meet her and go over what, I had written to myself, and I did, and she encouraged me. I say something in the book about how much help she was, and we got going. I got a book out of it.
0: (laughs) Well, You certainly did. I'm so glad you did, but I wanted for our listeners to have just a little bit of a summary. I want people to pick up this book, it really is an interesting study of that period, and most importantly, uh, an interesting study of a woman who had a very, very challenging life, but always sort of rose to the occasion when uh, most people would have just given up and said they'd had it. So can you give us a, just a very brief summary of who Eleanor Billington was and kind of what happens in this book?
1: Okay. I start out with her background, where she came from, because actually I had some historic data about that, who she was. She was apparently born in England into landed gentry. You either had it or you didn't. Mm. (laughs) And she was raised there, apparently met her husband, Because she had traveled in to do the family shopping, and she used to go into the town, and she saw him, found out who he was, and then she eventually got together, and they had a romantic relationship, out of which she, and I based this on some dates, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she got pregnant, and she was thrown out of the family. She married him, had a son, had another son, and they moved to London, where he, and this is fictitious, but Mm -hmm. he was supposedly uh, involved in smuggling, Mm -hmm. and he was possibly going to be thrown in prison. Mm -hmm. And so he found that they were looking for what they call strangers mm-hmm. to go on the Mayflower to fill out the uh,
0: passenger list.
1: So they could afford to go. Right. So, anyway, they got on the Mayflower and they were not separatists. They were not the uh, pilgrims, mm-hmm. quote unquote. They were the strangers.
0: And through. just for clarity there, my understanding is the passengers of the Mayflower were a combination of the separatists or those who were, f- had been fleeing religious persecution mm-hmm. uh, and initially uh, from England over to Leiden, I think it was, in the Netherlands. And then from there, they went back to England and then boarded the Mayflower to come to the New World to escape persecution. Yeah whereas the strangers, in quotes, were other people who were leaving either for just a new life or the experience or the adventure or what have you. Is that a fair assessment? Yes,
1: yes.
0: So so go ahead. They they, they, they came uh, to the New World then, and what happened?
1: They were supposed to land down in Virginia, but... (laughs) where they actually landed was out on the tip of Cape Cod. They stayed there for a while and it wasn't working out. The men on the boat went on a discovery and this actually happened and they found the area where Plymouth Colony was established Mm -hmm. and so they all moved down there, but It was getting into the winter, and the winter was horrible. And over 50% of the colony actually died.
0: You refer to that as the dying time, I believe, in the book.
1: Yes. It just wiped a bunch of them out. Actually, I can't remember whether there were four or five women that were given the job. They had built the uh, common house by that time, and they moved the uh, sick ones in there. These women took care of them and took care of the children that were left, and it was a horrible, horrible winter. She showed her real courage during that time. There was some acceptance, you know, with the other women, but she still was, a woman apart.
0: (laughs) When you say woman apart, Anita, you're referring to the fact that she just wasn't, she didn't really fit in with a lot of the other passengers.
1: That's true. They thought she was bossy, uh, outspoken, and apparently she had this reputation.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and part of that reputation was because of her husband as well.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes.
0: Yeah, what was he like?
1: Well, he drank, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and evidently um, he liked to gamble, and didn't fit in with the separatists. He had a pretty bad reputation. Uh, She suffered for it. Her two boys, during the time they were in London, they just kind of went wild. London was walled in and they locked the gates at night and you had to be inside or you got locked out. And they only got locked out once and they made it inside, but that was the bell that they rang. Anyway, they were kind of wild ones. And they proceeded to be pretty wild there in Plymouth Colony. They each had stories of their own that are in the history books. They were a piece of work, (laughs) and I put all that in the
0: book. Yes. It paints a picture of the family dynamic, really, that this woman, Eleanor Billington, as you said, she was pretty outspoken. She was a strong woman, and not only strong in her personality, but she was also very strong physically because she was one of just a few passengers who didn't get deathly ill.
1: Oh yeah. And there were only like the four or five women that survived that winter. And so there were all the orphan children. They had to build back from a real mess.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So here she is. She's, not only is she having to do for her own family at this time, but she was also taking care of people who were sick and dying and the children of those people who were sick and dying and on top of that she was always sort of on the edge of her seat waiting for her husband to get them into trouble yes she had to manage that too oh
1: yeah oh
0: yeah must have been quite a life it must have been quite a life so as the book proceeds you really just get an idea of what this lady goes through and as I said before it the picture that you paint is so very uh historically accurate to the best of my knowledge but from what I've read. Oh yes, Anita I know you had some historical works to refer to while writing this book but was it difficult for you to make Eleanor's character come alive and become the person you knew in your heart that she was?
1: Not really. I was able to get in our head
0: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) I had gone through similar experience not that he was a murderer but he Mm -hmm. was abusive Mm -hmm. my first husband Mm -hmm. so I knew you live on edge like what's going to happen next and Billington was the only person that was hung for murder in Plymouth Colony
0: so he
1: historically stood out. <laughs>
0: yeah, he did. And,
1: and she was, and I, I'm i sure this is historically accurate, she was required to watch the hanging, oh. she and her children. So that must have been a real experience.
0: Oh, it's awful. I, when I read that, I thought, isn't it bad enough that they're hanging her husband? That At that point, there was only one son, that's in the book, but that they both had to watch that, and then they had to leave the body hanging for like three days to sort of warn everybody. It's uh, pretty
1: barbaric.
0: (laughs) Yeah, pretty barbaric. What was her husband accused of doing or convicted of doing?
1: He evidently, he loved to gamble, and they had places where they could drink and gamble like the local saloon. He had accused this fellow of cheating him, and he lay in wait for him. He came and got his gun and laid in wait behind this log until this person came by, and he just shot him in cold blood. So they knew it was him, and
0: That's the background on that. Yeah. When (laughs) I was reading the book, Anita, the suspense that you created in that time period between when he had shot this man, he comes home and tells Eleanor what happened, and I felt transported into that little modest little home that they had in the Plymouth colony. I was transported there... And I felt the angst that must have been on both of their hearts as they waited to find out if anybody saw it happen. Yeah. You did a great job creating that atmosphere of what's next. And I mostly felt it through Eleanor because she was no stranger to this sort of thing, not murder at this point, but she was always sort of, what's he going to do next? And once he does it, is it going to affect their family in a terrible way? This really built it up to that crescendo, and you do a wonderful job, and I won't say anything more about that because I want people to read it themselves. Just to sort of finish off, after her husband was hanged, did Eleanor Billington continue to be a woman apart?
1: Yes, she did. She was very disturbed by the way the um, colony was going. They were becoming much more legalistic, Mm. and she saw it as filtering down from the Massachusetts Bay Colony. They were getting so judgmental, and she felt that that was what was behind the uh, hanging Mm. of her husband. She did speak out. I put it in... You know, that she sneaked into the back of the church, which was not documented.
0: Not documented. But
1: anyway, she did actually criticize a deacon in the colony, an actual person. And I had him preaching some of that legalism. They arrested her. They tried her. They put her for a full day in the stocks. And that actually happened.
0: She was also yeah. whipped. I think was another thing, right? She had lashes. Yes,
1: yeah, they whipped her before.
0: Oh my goodness! So,
1: they weren't very nice.
0: <laughs> no, they they weren't. I think what I was gathering from your book, as you had said, the the sort of the powers that be at the Massachusetts Bay Colony were sort of influencing the leadership of yeah. Plymouth yeah. Colony and saying, you know, we we have to take hard lines, and it was becoming a lot less charitable and and it, it didn't yeah. bode well or, it, or certainly Eleanor had an opinion about it and she felt very strongly so what happened after that did the community start to accept her a little more as time went on and she got older
1: i think so she ended up marrying a very nice man mm. <laughs> he admired her strength he watched her Go through that punishment, mm. and he admired her strength. They had a good life together, so I at least wanted to end it on a hopeful note. Francis married, and they had a lot of children.
0: Just for clarification, Anita, Francis was her surviving one of her two sons, the one who but survived. She, it
1: was one of her sons. John Jr. died before he married or had any children. He died of gangrene, Mm. and the um, treatment then was to put worms on the lake. (laughs) (laughs) Awful. Mm. Um, Francis was not as wild as John was, but he was quite an adventurer and discovered that lake that got them barely through that first winter and it's called the Billington Sea. It's on the cover of my book and I took the picture uh-huh. and it's it's the only place in Plymouth Colony or nearby it that is named for a passenger on the Mayflower. We got down in history.
0: Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> and it's your and it's your ancestor too. and you admit it and you admit it
1: (laughs) oh yeah i admit it but anyway francis had climbed up in a tree and he saw the lake the billington sea and it helped feed them barely yeah but um, they went through a terrible terrible time that first winter
0: so Eleanor goes on to quite a great age, I understand, and she seemed to be somewhat accepted by the community, and she had a very respectable husband who loved her and continued to be a a member of that community. Yes. Do, Do you know at all where she may have been buried?
1: I have no clue. I don't know.
0: Now, if Eleanor, after the book was written, if Eleanor could now write you a second letter... What do you think she would say to you?
1: Um, Hang in there. (laughs) (laughs) I've had some real challenges in my life.
0: Anita, you mentioned this other book that you wrote. Can you tell us the title of that book?
1: Yes, it's called Legacy, A Family of Courageous Women. Ah, It's about my great-grandmother's who both came to California during the Gold Rush, probably within a few months of each other. They landed in San Francisco. One was named Sarah Malone, and she was 17 years old, and she walked across Panama. The other one came with her husband and six children, the youngest was my grandfather, and he was five months old. And they came by mule train. And both these books are on the Amazon.
0: That's great. I hope our listeners will consider picking up copies of your books. Anita, how do you feel your life was impacted by researching and developing the character of Eleanor Billington?
1: Oh, I identified with her. In what way? Well, dealing with a crazy husband, mm-hmm. <laughs> I had years of that, and um, it wasn't all terrible. But I thought she had to be on edge most of the time. Yet she she had a life, and she's an amazing person.
0: Did you identify with her resilience in your own life? Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I I don't know. You have to identify with the characters you're writing about.
0: Right. And what do you think Eleanor would have wanted her legacy to be?
1: I think that her courage should be an inspiration to all women. They were amazing people. I have nothing but admiration for her.
0: I just want to ask you for somebody who maybe has been thinking about writing that book someday uh, somebody who Uh, has a story in their heart or their mind or or an ancestor that they'd like to learn more about. What kind of advice would you give to a a woman or a man who might be interested in doing that, but maybe just can't seem to do it?
1: Pick your character and, have them write a letter to you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Actually, in the um, introduction to Eleanor's book, I have her saying, By the Fire.
0: <laughs> oh, That's right. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. So
1: it came together very, very well.
0: It did indeed. So, Anita, are you doing any writing now?
1: I have been having the woman that edited Eleanor's book on my case to write my life story, which I may have told you I did way back and gave it to my family. And I thought it was too long. And I was going to rewrite it. Of course, this whole year I haven't done any writing. I'm starting to write again. I belong to... uh, two writing groups. One was a small group, and the other one was a memoir group. We're all vaccinated, so we're going to start meeting in person,
0: and that's going to help. It's going (laughs) to inspire you. So, Anita, I understand you have a birthday coming up this year. Can you share what birthday that is?
1: It will be my 90th.
0: (laughs) 90th. God bless you, and I'm hoping with more people getting vaccinated and all that, that you'll be able to see a lot of friends and family around you.
1: We're planning it. (laughs) Uh, Well,
0: that's good. So for those people who may be thinking, oh, I'm too old to write a book. Uh, I've been thinking about it, but uh, it's too late or whatever. How old were you when you published your first book?
1: I was well over 80.
0: So you should never use age as an excuse.
1: No, you've got a tale to tell. <laughs> oh,
0: I love it. And Anita, this has just been a wonderful experience interviewing you. Thank you again. You've been a wonderful guest on this show. And I look forward to your next book that's going to come out about your life story. And I hope you have a, <laughs> I hope you have a blessed 90th birthday this year.
1: Well, thank you. I'm going to celebrate it with a friend of mine friend for 80 years as well as my family
0: i hope you have a wonderful day and i will be talking to you soon
1: okay thank you so much
0: so for all of our listeners keep discovering and telling stories that inspire you and others have a great day thank you for joining us for this episode of your history your story Please subscribe, share, and check out our website at yourhistoryyourstory.com for episode notes and bonus content. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, or a story to tell. Be well and God bless.